The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are. We are. This is week, not week, but episode number 71. I will forever remind you that we missed a week. So it's week number 72, but episode number 71. I can't believe we've done, well, this will be our 71st episode. That's a lot. I know. Am I, you know, the way I'm thinking about it, it's like, We've done a lot of talking yes. amongst our, each other, professionals, graduates, and yep. ex-addicts, parents. We've talked to a lot of people, we've had a lot of conversations, and we've put a lot of information out there. Yes. And I think that's actually, if you think about it, it's kind of a pretty profound thing because there are a lot of people apparently that are tuning in and listening, and I like to think, you know, kind of on these terms, would some of the listeners have actually ever gotten the correct data about drugs? Would they have ever been instilled with hope from a success story or anything like that had they not listened to this, had we not started this? I think you're right. That's kind of a profound way of thinking uh, that we're affecting a change out there because, you know, we have picked up some steam. We do have a good listener base. I'd like to know if it wasn't for us, would other people have gotten the, the information or the hope that they needed or the inspiration that they needed? Um, and I'm so glad we're doing this because I think you and I are effectively changing the world. I think so too. I think it's awesome. I think it is too. It's very, it's very empowering. Um, and you know, it's funny if you had told me to, and when I was a junior at the University of Miami, like off the rails on cocaine like hey you know i fast forward some time this is what you're going to be doing i would never ever ever believe you and neither would my parents <laughs> well you know it, i mean it, it truthfully i mean you know i i raised two boys and you know i've been a businesswoman worked in the corporate world and you know i've always done a lot of volunteer work but i don't i'm not sure i would have believed either mm-hmm. you know i mean you know, I think that we're getting the word out. I know we're getting the word out. And I am fairly certain that with every episode, someone realizes that there is hope and there is an alternative to traditional rehab programs. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the other message that they get is do something about it. Right. You know, don't just sit there and think it's going to go away or not confront it, you know? Well, I hate to break it down for everyone just like this bluntly, but if you don't confront it, it doesn't make it not be there. It doesn't make it go away. It's still there, whether you decide to look at it or not, but at least we know that if you can confront it, you can deal with it and handle it. And so I'm hoping that anyone out there that's listening that has an addiction issue somewhere in their family, near their family, or around their family, or in their vicinity in general, doesn't have to be your family, whether it be a coworker or whatever, that you actually confront it and do something about it. Because it's all of our responsibility to to take down the um, to take down the drug crisis the way it is. I I know it's easy to put the responsibility off on big pharma and crooked doctors and this that and the other thing. But realistically, each and every one of us has the same responsibility in handling the drug crisis than the next person. That's right. That's exactly right. And we have a great interview for the podcast today. Mm-hmm. We have Dr. Rohit Adi. And he did, he's an actual doctor, a medical doctor. He did most of his education in India. Mm -hmm. He is from India. And then he did his residency in internal medicine in Chicago, in the Chicago area. And he's got all kinds of medical certifications. And pretty much since 
1992, he's been in the emergency room. And right now he's in the, what do you call it? Uh, what do you call it? Second stage trauma, trauma two. Anyway, it's like a higher level. Like, well, like when you're really about to die is when you end up in front of him in the emergency room. It's a level two trauma center. Level two trauma center. That's what it is. Um, But also more importantly, in terms of the subject of the podcast, he is the chairman of the Narconon International Science Advisory Board and is a founding director of Narconon, Louisiana, And he's been doing that for 15 years, and he is what's called an addictionologist. Wow. Which basically means someone who is a medical person who is an expert in addiction. Mm -hmm. So let's talk to Dr. Adi. We'll get him on the phone. Hello, Dr. Adi, and thank you for being on the podcast. I said your name wrong, didn't I? No, you said it right. It's Rohit Adi. That's how I pronounce it. Adi. Okay. Well, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Um, really uh, appreciate because I know you're a very busy man, but um, I know that you know a lot about the area. So let's see, you know, let's see what we want to talk about. What I think I'd like to ask you, first of all, because I know that you have a lot of medical credentials in um, internal medicine, cardiovascular. How long have you been involved in the area of substance abuse as a doctor? Um, strictly speaking, oh, about 13 to 14 years, I have been involved with uh, helping someone with addiction almost on a daily basis. Um, I have been a physician for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. I have worked uh, primary care for a few years, and then for the last about 25 years, have worked in an emergency department in a level two trauma center. We are one of the largest ERs in the state. Um, And you're in in Baton Rouge, right? Yes, I'm uh, based in Baton Rouge. And I work with a rehabilitation facility, which is about 25 minutes from Baton Rouge, and I live in in between and uh, go to the rehabilitation facility almost every day to oversee the health care needs of the residents uh, from the minute they come to the program till they leave. Okay. Can you tell us why or how you became involved in this area? Is there a story there? Um, Yes. Uh, I have lost several family members um, to addiction. Um, I had about three distant uncles. Those are my parents' cousins. And one of my... Uh, first cousins and uh, husband of my cousin, who were fairly close. I come from India originally, Mm -hmm. and uh, we are closer uh, than siblings when you call the first cousins. We almost grew up together. Mm -hmm. So that hit me very hard. And I was, I've been in the United States for uh, almost 34 years. And uh, I'm in a healthcare field, and I have uh, taken a bit of a 
little guilt that I couldn't help them. Mm-hmm. And uh, secondly, in the emergency room, I see firsthand the, you know, what the drugs and alcohol does to people on an acute basis and chronic basis. And, you know, unfortunately, I get to know people um, just due to their frequent visits. And an opportunity came up with three of my friends who wanted to do something and help and um, were familiar with the program. And I jumped at an opportunity and um, we did all the legwork. And if anybody knows how to establish a rehabilitation program, we did it from absolute scratch. And we have been having a very fantastic, successful rehabilitation program uh, near Baton Rouge. Right. For now about 13 years, yeah. Right, and I, I mentioned before we started that um, the program, of course, is Narcanon Baton Rouge and that you are the medical director there. How did Narcanon Baton Rouge come about? I think Jason covered this one time in a podcast, but tell us how it came about from from your perspective. Yeah, I had... Uh, uh, another brother-in-law who was in the U.S. and uh, um, was married to my sister and had been afflicted with it. He had lost his father and a brother to addiction wow. in India. And uh, my rest of the family had pretty much washed their hands. And at one of the family gatherings, I just took the reins and uh, said, well, this is it. You're going to either leave the house and go to the program, uh, or I'm just going to do some legal proceedings. And he took up on it, and I sent him to Narcanon in 96. And he has been clean ever since. And the family was amazed. My sister is happier than ever, and they have raised two daughters, and he's been doing really well. And uh, three of my other friends who also had very personal experience, um, um, other friend's husband and uh, other friend's brother, who had had great results with Nakanak. So we had uh, uh, um, personnel and some help that we could recruit and so we chose to start a program with core group of four of us, and then we recruited some staff, and we got some help uh, from Narcanon, California, and uh, we started up in August of 2006. Right. Now, Jason, and correct me if I'm wrong, didn't, didn't Narcanon Baton Rouge kind of start up after Hurricane Katrina? Yes, uh, in during the Hurricane Katrina, we had that's when we had about a, a thousand volunteers mm-hmm. come to help the area, and we were involved with them. We we're coordinating their help, and we could see even from my ER um, post and as a volunteer the need for. Um, helping people with addiction, especially those who were on methadone program 
at the time. Um, because all of a sudden they couldn't there. get it, right? Correct. So all of a sudden they couldn't get it. They were coming up and filling up the ERs, uh, wanting something, and that is not something that emergency room is prepared to dispense or write. Um, and they don't have a full scope and understanding of what this uh, uh people who have been on um, the methadone program are going through. And and the state had to really scramble and come up with uh, local dispensing facilities and um, help out the emergency rooms to, so that these uh, patients wouldn't flood us. Uh, and we were busy, as it is, with real emergencies. Uh, not to say that, the, you know, it is not a real emergency when a when a methadone um, patient who is on 300 milligrams of methadone has no way to get the dose the next day and, and um, ends up in the emergency room. Yep. Yeah. And that's why methadone is not a good solution for opioid addiction. I mean, it's in case of a natural disaster and you can't catch your methadone, you go through major withdrawals. And then, I mean, if you can't find your methadone, the next best solution is to go back to heroin, usually. Exactly. That usually what most uh, you know people who are on methadone end up doing, yeah. Right. And so after um, Katrina, my understanding was in the local area they saw how bad the drug problem actually was out in Louisiana. Absolutely, that was the need in my face, and we had several volunteers who we could recruit, and we had very able administrators who were good friends. And we could, you know, run an organization, establish it. Um, we could understand the, the legalities and the need uh, and had a know-how to, to establish a center. And that's what we did. It took us about, you know, six months after Katrina. And we acquired a facility, uh, got all the legal rudiments in, and about in a year's time from the time of Katrina, we were open and running. Well, that's awesome. Very well done, you and the other executives and volunteers that helped with that. Um, that's what I call seeing a need and filling the need. So well done. Yeah, and it was a true, true team effort. We had help from so many, you know, um, friends and people who have been involved with Narcanon to to provide us with staff, to provide us with know-how, and until we learned the ropes and how we could um, uh, run a successful organization. That's awesome. Yeah. A question about your job or your hat, if you will, as medical director at Narconon. What are some of the reasons, not reasons, I guess, but what are some of the functions that you have as medical director, like, are there sometimes uh, people who come in who need some kind of medical care when they're addicted? I mean, beyond just the addiction itself? Absolutely. My involvement with the Narcanon program starts before even um, a person uh, comes to the program. Oh. We have our our intake counselors, and we have specific questionnaires and forms they fill out. And we have sort of an eligibility list uh, that who can 
we accept. As you know, the spectrum of the uh, of the people who have problem with addiction, um, you know, alcohol use disorder or opiate use disorder, uh, they um, come from all walks of life. They come in all ages. Uh, Nobody is immune. And the Narcanon program is designed in a very specific manner, and not every person qualifies. Mm -hmm. The second big um, requirement uh, or the fundamental uh, uh, principle of Narcanon that it is completely drug-free. Right. And that uh, sometimes eliminates some people. Uh, from eligibility standpoint. So our intake counselors are usually in very close communication with me and go over almost every individual um, patient uh, that comes their way from eligibility standpoint medically. Um, and once they arrive, I have I do a complete physical, including their lab work, and make sure that they're okay to do the program. And after that, I practically see them through their withdrawal period almost every day mm-hmm. and uh, uh, through their detoxification program. And then they are pretty used to the environment, their schedule, and what they're doing on a program for the next you know, couple of months. And they're almost joy to be around by then and they start helping <laughs> they almost start helping and and we i really get to know them and see the change in them that is what fuels our energy and uh, you know by the time they're finished the program they're not the same person that they came in and they started and that is the most heartening thing yes. in my life yes i can imagine jason you had a question yeah dr Adi, I, I find it you know fascinating and i've known you for a little while now and i always found it fascinating that you get to work obviously at narcan on louisiana but you're also you know a head emergency room physician in baton rouge and you know from your perspective you know working in an er what is it that you guys are seeing as far as um um i guess the fallout from the drug crisis and what are you seeing in the er more predominantly now than before like what's the current scene well, from being in the front lines in the emergency department, I'm a full-time ER physician and I work nights. And I have seen the carnage that the drugs, all kinds of drugs, uh, you know, cause firsthand, face-to-face. It is something else, just quoting statistics and saying, oh, this thing, you know, alcohol can do such and such, or the synthetics can uh, you know, make you psychotic. But once you are face to face with somebody who is psychotic, who has just done meth, or he has uh, done a synthetic, or they have been um, using, you know, several drugs, and they come in with a heart rate of over 180, they're completely sweaty that you can't even put a um, EKG lead on them, and they're fighting all the demons and every person in the emergency room, it's, it's quite a sight. And unfortunately, 
uh, we live it every day. Yeah. And uh, and I I can tell you from you know acute emergent standpoint, we at least see two or three uh, patients who have been in that condition which, where they either would live or they wouldn't. And uh, it is unfortunate that we see a lot of them uh, with the traumas because we are the level two trauma center and they either have alcohol on board or they have multiple drugs on board and they absolutely cannot tell you where they are, who they are, unless you find an ID on them. And uh, it is sad the amount of damage they do to themselves and others. Just a reminder, if you need any further information on the Addiction Podcast or Narcan on Suncoast, call 877-339-3324. That's 877-339-3324. Yeah, it's absolutely outrageous. And, you know, a trend that's been happening around the country as of what I can tell the last month is the reemergence of K2 causing, you know, massive problems um, in different areas of the country. And um, I wanted to know, Dr. Adi, if you're seeing any prevalence of that in your emergency room in Louisiana. Um, I have not seen K2 come to Louisiana yet, but we are seeing a rash of synthetics. And these are the people we are seeing who don't get arrhythmias or seizures in the field and make it to us. We have had some deaths in the community. The paramedics kind of have to fight along with the police when they come. And it takes them um, quite a bit of time to come out of the paranoia and confusion and all the hallucinations they're experiencing. And sometimes uh, it takes a long time for them to come to baseline, and some don't in spite of our best efforts. Um, and that is the sad part that we're seeing now is the synthetics. And what, what synthetics is that specifically? Uh, apparently, um, uh, there are some chemists who have isolated, you know, over several hundred alkaloids out of the, the marijuana plant. You know, marijuana has, you know, only, you know, 6% to 14%, um, you know, THC. There have other, at least 250 to 300 identified alkaloids. And some of the, these can be prepared in the lab. And if you sell them individually as, you know, you say them as bath salts or uh, greens or uh, by whatever name, and you know, they don't fall in the in the guidelines and uh, and the lists of the FDA, and they could be sold over the counter. And some of the you know gas stations were selling until uh, FDA catches up and say, okay, this is the substance; it should not be legal. It shouldn't be sold on counter, and then that goes underground. And some of these alkaloids have completely, you know. Uh, uh, opposite effect. They are nothing close to traditional marijuana, and and 
unfortunately, the alkaloids that had been peddled around uh, our area um, had uh, effects on the heart, effects on the kidney, and not to say on the nervous system where they would cause hallucination paranoia, which would last and linger sometimes for days. And on an immediate basis, you know, we had young people with uh, near kidney failure and heart arrhythmias, which were very, very difficult to treat because the person is not cooperative. They are paranoid. <laughs> so um, that that took, takes lots and lots and lots of resources, efforts, expertise. Wow. Dr. Adi, yeah. you, it looks like th- from the CV that I got for you, you've been in the emergency room either, you know, as the head of it or as a physician in the emergency room for about 26 years. Is that right? Correct. And are you, would you say, based on what you've seen in the emergency room, is the addiction problem actually getting worse? Is it pretty much the same and just the drugs have changed? Is it improving? What have you seen? Hands down, it is worse. It is worse on both counts. Acute presentations, um, uh, steady worsening of the um, heavy drugs such as meth, cocaine, and uh, synthetics. Um, The alcohol use somehow has been steady. And, you know, uh, we are in a town where we have LSU, which has a reputation of uh, being, quote, party school, Mm -hmm. unquote. And we kind of stay up there in the top three in the country. And, uh, uh, you know, as the freshmen come, as there are football games, and we, you know, unfortunately have seen a few young uh, men and women die. And uh, uh, I can even tell you and give you a count of how many we treat in the ER and how many paramedics treat out in the field, just uh, because that has been a culture. Right. And um, and that that part has sort of gotten worse. And then we have um, a steady base of chronic alcoholics who are homeless and community has invested or spent, I shouldn't say invested, um, so many resources behind them. Um, And they are pretty much uh, all the social services have raised their hands and say, uh, no, you cannot come to the shelter. We are done with you. Or, you know, they prefer or choose to live under the overpasses and create their own you know, habitats. Right. Uh, it's sad. And they, uh, and when it gets cold, they uh, know what to say, what to do to uh, get a bed in the emergency room. And then they, they end up uh, occupying a bed in the ER and further out uh, in the psychiatric facilities and, and different acute care facilities that we can, we have to put them for their medical needs. Wow. Gotcha. Has yeah. there been an increase in homelessness in uh, Louisiana over the last few years? Absolutely. It's, uh, that problem has significantly gotten worse. And I think it is in general due to uh, prevalence of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, um, and, and 
invent of this cheap synthetics that uh, cannot be traced in your urine drug screens. And mm. we have, you know, a fair amount of population who uh, works in the industry and they get drug tested. And sometimes they work, you know, two weeks on, two weeks off. And as they come, they um, have the money and they want to quote unquote party, but not get caught. So they can't use marijuana and the traditional drugs because they could be tested. And so the synthetics have become their crutch or rather go to. And uh, uh, they don't realize that is that is really, really more harmful than uh, the traditional, even traditional drugs, you know? Yeah. Interesting. And I know you said a lot of the uh, synthetics that you're seeing are isolated alkaloids from the marijuana plant. Have you seen an increase in these alkaloids being abused as a synthetic drug at the same time that the normalization of marijuana in our society is also increased? Is there a correlation there? Absolutely. I think people, I am appalled that even educated people uh, who think that uh, marijuana is not that harmful. It's just a little pot. Uh, I'm just smoking and it has actually good effect. And they argued um, just as, uh, uh, you know, people argue about the good effects of having a glass of wine with your dinner. And it's not the same. It's absolutely not the same. And it's well, well proven and documented how the long-term chronic use of marijuana affects your brain, affects your, you know, thinking, affects your motor functions. And uh, it leads to other drug abuses. Um, and, you know, somebody will certainly argue against it. They say, oh, I've been using it for 40 years, and look at me, I'm still functional. There is a always an argument with that. I say, okay, you're functioning at a certain level. Think about it, the potential you had if you hadn't used marijuana, how much more you could have been able to accomplish in your life, you know? Right. Um, yeah, so uh, that's, a, uh, that's an ongoing debate, and, uh, and, and I hope that one day, uh, you know, people like me who have seen the effects and know the effects of marijuana and believe that it it really, really is um, harmful, especially to the young mind, uh, would come to senses and not not make it uh, legal and so that it becomes so prevalent and, you know, the kids start using it earlier and earlier age and it, it, it is wreaking havoc on their mental health, on their... Uh, physical health and uh, what their potential in life could be. Interesting. I'm I'm afraid that uh, you you've now entered the realm of controversy, Doctor Adi. Every time Jason uh, posts a blog on the subject of uh, the evils of marijuana, he gets uh, quite a bit of flack back. So, well, we might as well just dive right in and ask Doctor Adi what his, his uh, take on kratom is. Oh yeah, we could do that. What's your take on kratom? Uh, again, it is still not. Uh, it, it's one of those um, Johnny Come Lately drugs that mm. the FDA hasn't caught up with, and it, ha- it 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 absolutely does no good. They are putting it as okay. It's going to help you with your pain. It is going to help you with your withdrawals, and it has its own you know addictive potential and effects and. It's not as good as opiates, so people tend to use more and more. 
and it has other effects uh, that makes that drug even more dangerous on a long-term basis. And it really, really compromises uh, people's sobriety, and they think that it is not harmful. And I think it is the next drug on the threshold of the FDA that will become illegal to be sold at the gas stations, you know? Yep. Yep. Wait, um, I was just going to say that if for any of our listeners who are listening to the podcast today, if you are one of those people that take issue when Jason and I expound our opinions on the subject of marijuana, you need to understand this is a medical doctor. This is a medical doctor who's an emergency room doctor. This is a, a doctor who sees people come in with these harmful effects, the harmful long-term effects of marijuana and the harmful effects of drugs like Kratom. So it's not just Jason and I giving an opinion here. You are hearing from an expert. So I just want you to keep that in mind. Jason, you had another question. Yeah, Dr. Adi, I you had mentioned that you had some family members, um, you know, that unfortunately, you know, had their own battles with addiction. And lately I've seen some this uh, I've seen some statistics um about um substance abuse um in the Indian culture as a growing problem and I wanted to un- kind of get what your take on that was and see what you knew about that. Well, um, I am from the from India, and I uh, have a fair number of family members here, and I have lots of friends. And uh, it has been, so to uh, say, a trend to, to uh, be Western or to be, uh, uh, you know, progressive, or to be secular, and liberal, and, and, and the use of alcohol especially gets significantly worse uh, amongst the, the, the professionals. And uh, uh, the younger the first generation uh, children, they sometimes get caught into the identity crisis and, uh, um, you know, racial profiling or, uh, uh, you know, all the the challenges of teenage years uh, times 10. And then they get uh, uh, involved with the hard drugs or marijuana and, uh, and, they become very, very uh, difficult to handle. And um, uh, just in general, you know, most people who immigrate, they do have an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, They are, um, um, have education and they are a bit, uh, you know, about average in terms of intelligence and their drive to succeed. And, and they use it towards the wrong direction. And that becomes a real big problem. And uh, we have had uh, a number of uh, our patients, or we call them students at Arkanon, who come and uh, really handle their uh, problems. Uh, and it takes a bit to sort out uh, and we have had great success with them as well. 
That's awesome. Dr. Adi, we're just about out of time. I want to, again, um, thank you for profusely for taking the time to talk to us today and giving your perspective. You know, you are an educated guy, you are an authority. And I, Jason and I, like I say, we're always really like ready and willing and able to profess our opinions. But you know, you're an expert in the area. And I think that your take on it and what you're seeing and what you have seen, I think is very important. And I just, again, I really, really appreciate you being part of the podcast today. Yeah, thank you very much, Dr. Adi. Uh, can, I, can I make one point before Absolutely. we end off? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, my biggest realization and lesson that I have learned by being uh, so involved and being so keenly observant and concerned about uh, drug and alcohol abuse in the community, that the most traditional remedies and theories and programs that we have, uh, who, which use the theory of using something instead of somebody that he's uh, afflicted with, uh, I. I firmly believe that is not the right direction to go in. Um, we should encourage programs that do not substitute drugs or chemicals for drugs and chemicals. I think, uh, I firmly believe that uh, human beings are given with amazing intellect and amazing spiritual uh, reserve. And I think we've, we can tap into it without any drugs and chemicals and really help them see for real who they are and how the drugs and alcohol um, fog up their intellect and keep them from being who they are. Uh, We get long-term success and an amazing and beautiful human being back to the society. I, I, and that is my driving force in life. And that is what I do and work hard for, uh, and in the emergency room, as well as at Nakanam. Well, that's awesome. You are a hero in my book. And thank you for sharing everything with us today. Really, really appreciate you being with us today. You're most welcome. Well, I thought that was really a great interview. Awesome. Um, You know, we could have just done with like the last minute when he, you know, really talked about his passion Mm -hmm. for the whole, you know, drug for a drug mentality, which is just, it just, you know, I guess we have to talk to four times 30,000 people to maybe start to get people to understand that. Um, substituting one drug for another, it does not work. No, and it's really no, nice to hear never. from... Never. It's not going to work. Never. Ever. It's not going to work tomorrow. It's not going to work next year. <laughs> it's never, never, never going to work. And the thing is, I don't consider that it has worked Mm-mm. in the past. But the the theory is, well, this is what we do. This is what works. It's like, I don't know where the proof is that that works. And it, you know, it's real, obviously... For me, it's really refreshing for a medical professional to agree with the same viewpoints that you and I, you know, stand in our soapboxes and talk about every week. And so, um, exactly. If you if you're listening and you'd like to argue about his viewpoints on marijuana, go right ahead. 
the guy's an expert, okay? He's a medical doctor, okay? And he's in the emergency room. So he sees all of this stuff. So there you go. Absolutely. Want to argue about it? Be our guest. And if you want to argue with me, <laughs> call me at Narcan Jason's, on Suncoast. Jason's like used to it, okay? And you can, I guess you have to argue with me on the Facebook page because that's where my husband lives is on the Facebook page. But the whole point is the drug for a drug mentality doesn't work. You know, I just had a thought while we were talking about that, and I don't want to make this podcast hugely long, but... Not to bash doctors, because obviously we just had a medical doctor on, and sure. he's a very, very good medical doctor. Mm-hmm. And But medical doctors, unfortunately, are not trained in um, a lot of holistic methods, Correct. unfortunately. And so really, medical doctors have only two solutions for something that's wrong with your body. And one is um, medicine or drug, and the other is surgery. And that's really it. It's either drug it or take it out. And mm-hmm. I And I don't mean that to be... I don't mean that to be invalidative or critical of medicine. There is, I'm not, and I'm not even anti-doctors. I mean, there's definitely a need for doctors. But what I'm saying is I don't think that they are trained holistically that there are other solutions. And this dr- the reason why I bring that up is because this drug for a drug mentality, if I were to be given, let's say I were given a painkiller and the painkiller upset my stomach, the doctor's now going to give me another drug to handle my upset stomach. If the drug that handles my upset stomach causes me to be constipated, then I'm going to be given another drug to counteract the constipation. Then if I take that drug and it causes me to have dry mouth, do you see the whole like vicious it's a, it's cycle that goes on? And I think it's I think it's a flaw in the education of the medical profession. I do not think that they're, I don't think the doctors are mean or awful or trying to do something harmful. They are just not trained in holistic methods. And And the other thing they're not very widely trained in is addiction. Right. And that's, I think that's been changing as we've gotten further into the drug crisis, that there's more education in the realm of addiction being implemented in medical school curriculums but previous to that like my father received i think he's told me i he's re, they received like no training on addiction or virtually none i um, mean if it, you and if it's available at the medical school it's more of an elective thing and so you know i think that's something that needs to be implemented more regularly into the training of physicians or even in continuing education for physicians is really being able to understand addiction notice signs and symptoms of addiction and obviously you know offer some solutions right so i agree cool well next week we have a great interview yes. set up for one of the staff members at narcan staff members at narcan i'll give everyone a teaser he was a drug addict in a foreign country mm. so we'll get that to can hear. be dangerous yeah so we're gonna get to hear what what the well, difference in the, the experiential yeah. difference in being a drug addict in the united states or being a drug addict Across the world. Exactly. So he's going to tell us the story and what he dealt with and what, you know, he's done to handle his condition life and move forward. And so it's going to be really interesting. I'm looking forward to that. And then the following week, we will have Sandy Winnefeld back on the podcast. I'm very excited about that because his organization, Mm safeproject.us, has been making great strides because when you used to be a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff under the president, people listen to you. So the man has clout and he has um, great goals and he's 
an ethical and moral individual. So I'm glad that we're going to have him on again so we can hear all of the good things he's doing. Now, next week, I will be remote. I will be in Los Angeles with my grandkids. So I'm going to apologize in advance for any audio difficulties that might come up with that particular podcast. There you go. So um, yeah, there you go. Perfect. We'll talk next week. You got it. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 